Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of NDFB Straight Talk. I'm your host, Seth Estenson, and I'm joined today by a longtime leader in the agricultural industry, and specifically in North Dakota Farm Bureau and in McHenry County Farm Bureau. Uh, he is also a representative in the North Dakota House of Representatives. I'm joined by Mr. Paul Thomas. Thank you so much for being with us today, Paul. Uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe some of those organizations that you've been involved with as a farmer as you've come up? Um, take us as far back as you like. I've had the opportunity to to work with you. Actually, I was uh, we were just chatting as you came in. My first county annual meeting as a brand new field rep going on nine years ago was in McHenry County while you were the Farm Bureau president there. Always had a ton of respect for you for the way you carried yourself and just can't tell you how I'm excited I am to be joined with you here today to talk a little bit about trade. So take it away, sir. All right. Thanks, Seth. That's a pretty nice introduction there. I appreciate it. So yeah, I, I grew up on our, our farm in uh, just outside of Carlsruhe, North Dakota. My wife and I, we have two sons, both at NDSU, pursuing agriculture degrees right now. Agriculture has been really the staple of my life. Growing up on that farm, I went to NDSU and got an Aggie gun degree and eventually ended up in Bismarck working for commodity groups just by chance. It wasn't really what I went to school for, really wasn't something I was really even aware of, except for the fact that growing up, my dad was always a Farm Bureau County member in McHenry County, very active in that. And so so I certainly knew what Farm Bureau was, but the commodity group side of the world, I, I really didn't know much about and happened to get hired by grain growers and then ended up working with a number of commodity groups for quite some time. And then when my parents retired, Karen and I had the chance to go back home and take over the farm. And when I did that, I knew that I always wanted to continue to be part of the agriculture community outside of just farming, but in the advocacy role, making the industry that we're part of more profitable, better for all of us that are trying to make a living out there. And so one of the first organizations that we got part of, and part of that was uh, Tom Bodine was a friend of mine, and he convinced me to take part in the Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Program. Thank you, Mr. Bodine. Yes, yes. Thanks, Tom. And, you know, both Karen and I, those three years of serving on that committee um, made a huge difference in our lives. The friends we made, the leadership abilities and opportunities that Farm Bureau afforded us through those three years, just cannot say enough about that. So I, I always advocate for that anytime I talk about what Farm Bureau, you know, can do for you um, from a young farmer and rancher standpoint, getting involved with Farm Bureau and, and that committee is tremendous and served when we got off of that as a uh, McHenry County president for my maximum nine years. Uh, that was a lot Turned of more. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I avoided the one and get back on. And so, so far I haven't gone back on the McHenry County Farm Bureau board, but Definitely was played an active role there, and uh, I've been part of a number of other commodity organizations. I guess right now I'm still on the North Dakota Corn Growers Association. I've yes, served sir. on that organization for a number of years now and got a couple years left. Serving on any of these organizations, um, you definitely make a difference in the industry that we're trying to make a living in. Absolutely. At the end of the day, I, I think every agriculturalist, whether you're a farmer or a rancher, you're truly in it for the right reasons <clears throat> it's to however you can um, leave things better than you found them. 
And uh, that's one of the things that I noticed about you from the get-go, Paul. There's some folks that uh, their purview really ends at the last cell 40. You yourself, I think you had a little bit better picture, and I just can't personally thank you enough for being example to a young man who didn't even have the sense to wear a nice jacket like you're wearing here to uh, McHenry County Annual Meeting. Make me feel comfortable. Uh, make me feel welcome. Always be somebody that I could bounce something off of. From a policy standpoint, another thing that I can say about you that always impressed me, we were talking about this earlier, was you know people in this day and age don't always seem to deal real well with, with having a disagreement. Just can't tell you how thankful I am that there's a few good men out there like yourself that can have a disagreement on something and say, you know, um, that's okay, and uh, we'll come back to the drawing table and try to figure it out. Thank you for showing me the the respectful, honorable way to carry yourself. Certainly really helped you, obviously, get to where you are here in the, in the legislature. I believe it's District 6. Yeah, we're District 6. So we're McHenry, Botno, and Renville counties and compose uh, District 6. And, and, and Seth, two kind of words. I, I appreciate that. I, I really do. I, I always try and carry myself that way, you know. And, and one of the things in the comment, just to touch on it, you know, the agree to disagree. I encourage those discussions all the way back home at the kitchen table when you're eating supper. You know, you you need to have those conversations with your spouse, with your kids. You know, you don't have to just touch on the easy subjects. It's good to start at home. And and when you can have that dialogue just on the family basis, it's so much easier to take that to your friends and to to maybe those people that you just meet and and able to communicate and find out that, hey, we're we're all good, moral, Christian people for the most part. And uh, we all got different opinions and different backgrounds and different perspectives that we're bringing to the table. Just appreciate each of those. And if you don't find uh, your common ground, agree to disagree and and still shake hands and move on. Very wise words. So we had uh, my co-host, Emery Melhoff, in here yesterday with the North Dakota Aid Commissioner, Mr. Doug Goring. And they were talking about um, some legislation that's been introduced, I believe it was in the Senate, Senate bill specifically number 2018, having to do with the Office of, of Trade and International Business being transferred from the Department of Commerce to the Department of Agriculture. I don't know that that bill's crossed over for you guys to vote on yet, or if it's in its final form, probably not. Are you somewhat familiar with that? Yeah, I I, I know that they did. Uh, they were working on bringing that over to the Ag Department, and certainly the conversations I've had, I think there's acknowledgement that both Commerce and Agriculture Department, um, the Ag Department, are going to work very well together. You know, that it's not a grab, it's not a big... Right. You know, power move. It's just, right. you know, where can we fit this best that that government is going to be most efficient and most effective Absolutely. in promoting, you know, our, our number one industry in this state? Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at egg manufacturing and the agricultural products in and of itself and how seriously Commissioner Goring and, and Mr. Bodine have always banged the table in, in getting our producers and our manufacturers involved in that international trade stage. And I don't know that I've ever seen or heard a better advocate for that international trade than, than Commissioner Goring. So um, right off the top of my head, it's something that he's involved with on a regular basis in our state's biggest industry. I think it makes sense. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I do too. And, and the encouraging thing, like I said too, is I think a, as a state, when we see agencies working together, you know, and and saying these are some of the exper- or expertise that we can bring from a certain right. agency to help this other agency, right. and and recognize that hey, this is probably better off over here because there's more expertise here. This is more the industry that's for. 
bring your resources together. And, and, and that's a win. It's a win for Good North teamwork. Dakota agriculture. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've specifically had some experience um, with uh, some of the commodity groups that you've worked with dealing with some of those issues of, of exports and international trade. Just real curious to see what your specific story was, how it looked for you, what commodity groups were you working with? How did you build those relationships? How did you foster them? And, and just how did the, how did the whole thing look? And what was your, what was your take on all that? Two that I, you know, remember, I guess, most impactful. Um, the first one I'll talk about was when we were working on promoting canola. And at that time, the canola industry was booming in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, you know, the crush plant, which we've always had at ADM. But a number of elevators in the state were getting larger and larger volumes of canola. And, and mm-hmm. they weren't, uh, you know, with the just the natural logistical flow of canola. Oversupply. Yep. We were, you know, like ADM would buy it, but maybe not at the time that they wanted to move it from their right. elevator. And so so we said, okay, well, how about Mexico? And went down there. We, we took a trade trip down there. Uh, we went and met with four different buyers that were mm-hmm. crushing canola. Mm-hmm. And local elevators got them together. And the relationship that was built between those one-on-one interactions, all of a sudden we had unit trains of canola, raw canola seed, leaving a local elevator, actually in my district right now, heading heading down there. And uh, at, at, at first, you know, it was like, Wow, I didn't even know that could happen. You know, that was the industry's right. the industry's Here you are reaction. crossing borders. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and and it ended up turning into a great long-term relationship between the elevators here in the state and the buyers down there. And eventually I, I think things logistically changed. There got to be some more trade between Canada and North mm-hmm. Dakota with the canola flow and mm-hmm. just logistics. And but but I'm sure there's still some movement down there. But, Absolutely. But it just showed how just that relationship can affect taking a product there instead of them importing it from Canada, right. you know, it was, Hey, we got it here in North Dakota too. It's so, just like any other form of business, uh, with maybe a little bit of uh, a border involved, but when it boils down to it, it's really all about relationships. I think is what I'm gathering from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another one that I remember, um, th- this was the first international trade trip I'd ever gone on. I it was asked by the, uh, dry bean industry and the P and lentil industry mm-hmm. to, Go over to Germany for the world's largest food show. It was a 10-day food show. And those industries took a lot of buyers, mm-hmm. a lot of U.S. buyers, went and worked that booth. And they'd rotate and stuff. And we were there just as staff to kind of help out uh, shuffle sure. buyers in and that. And I saw firsthand there the value and, and it was truly amazing, the value of just that one-on-one relationship right. when you would have a Turkish buyer come in, then the next one would be someone from Africa, you wow. know, some country there. And it was just one after another, and it would be they'd grab them, and, you, and they had these relationships from before, too, sure. but a lot of them were new. And, and just that one-on-one personal relationship. And I was thinking about this when we were visiting earlier, and I, like, what's an example of this? And it just struck me as yesterday uh, in committee at the legislature, mm-hmm. industry, business, and labor committee, we heard a bill about rebating and insurance, mm-hmm. you know, and it made me, you know, whenever I hear that, I always Big say no farm, no. farm Bureau insurance. And keep you, keep you it know, under 50. NODAC mutual, yeah. <laughs> and and it's, a, it's no different between buying your insurance from an insurance agent and buying your canola seed from North Dakota versus Canada is 
the products are very similar. There's right. really no difference there. It's the trust of the person that you're dealing with. Right. It's that relationship that you have there, that I'm going to provide the service. I'm going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're not there making those relationships, selling ourselves as a person and the quality of our product, Absolutely. obviously, too. But a lot of times, there's not a lot of difference in that. Grades grade, right? But but you have to be there selling whatever niche you have. And it's a lot of times it's that personal relationship. So absolutely yeah, those those are very, very val- valuable trips. And then conversely, we've seen them come over from their right. country to to North Dakota mm-hmm. to meet with farmers, to meet with the grain shippers, the grain industry and, and see a see a, see how much, you know, work we put in and how much we care about the products we're sending them. And then that relationship just, just blossoms from there. from there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so for anybody that, that has a product that they're selling domestically and they feel like they may have an opportunity to export that, if they are in the egg industry, what would your advice be to them taking all this away, Paul? Get get involved with the commodity group um, in and of itself that you're representing or, or, or what, what advice would you have? Well, specifically, I think if if they want to do it themselves, um, certainly turning to your commodity group is a is an option. Right. I mean, I mean, there there's avenues there, mm-hmm. but I, but I also think the North Dakota Egg Department, you know, with the trade office moving over there, that is a great avenue Absolutely. for people to go through there because they have programs, you know, to help not only you develop a business structure, correct, but also walk you through that process of doing with different. Fo- exchanges. You know, our Bank of North Dakota works with a lot of that exchange of their money, our money, a holding account for while you're shipping product. So it's sitting there until your product gets delivered. And then even the opportunities, sometimes commodity groups, but even, you know, through the egg department of actually getting assistance to go over there and make those visits. So I I would encourage people. I mean, I think that's a big step and that's tough, but Mm -hmm. I think once you do it, it's not as far out there. It's just like anything else. Duplicate it. It's like uh it seems like a big step because you're shipping overseas or you're not directly, you can't drive down the road and shake that buyer's hand, but it it works. And and there's great opportunities there. And, and there's a lot of examples in our state where people have stepped out of the norm and have created niche markets for North Dakota products. A lot and, of great ones. Yep. Specifically yeah. right there in Velva. I mean, look at, you can't go anywhere um, in state or, or quite a few places out of state where you see dots pretzels on the shelves yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. um pugsies um grubber spots um you look into egg manufacturing and concord and sunflower and i mean it's just it's it's incredible the innovativeness of north dakota in general north dakota agricultural products and just the opportunities like you said to have that ability to to go to your egg department and they'll essentially have liaisons that'll help you through all of that whether it be exchange and and also having resources in the bank in north dakota i don't know that all states have these opportunities so bang the table for um commissioner goring thank you very much bang the table for the state of north dakota and the bank in north dakota and the opportunities that they provide us with i'll, I'll bang the table for those commodity groups um if yeah. if you're out there if you're growing corn um surely we'll We'll take you in North Dakota Farm Bureau. Uh, certainly the, the the grain growers will take you. Um, find find a place, get involved, make a difference, and leave things better than you found them. I think it's uh, been a great example of that working with you, Paul, and I just can't can't say thank you enough. Thanks for being an example to me. Thanks for, for being an example for Farm Bureau to be, you know, something that, that uh, for myself personally, you look at that guy and say, hey, See that 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 representative from District Six? That that guy was a county farm bureau leader when I first came on eight years ago. And uh 
just can't say how how proud I am to have have been able to to take some example from you. Um, whether you knew it or not, people are always watching, right? Yeah. Whether you know you're mentoring or not, I think that's the way you carried yourself and I uh, just can't say thank you enough. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Don't see you nearly as often as I it's used to. It's been a long time, so. um, yeah. but But certainly enjoy every opportunity I can. You tell Karen, if you'll join us at convention again, I will gladly go buy cream to make her a Colorado Bulldog if she still <laughs> likes those. <laughs> that has not changed. That has not changed. <laughs> well, you yeah. tell her I said hello at the very least. Glad to see that your boys are doing well at NDSU and they're carrying on that agricultural tradition. That's something to be very proud of. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Seth. And, and certainly, I, w- I want to thank Farm Bureau for being the organization that it always has. I, like I said, I, I remember as a kid how important it was to my dad. And, and ultimately, it's the organization what it stands for, but it's the people that are in it. That's and right. those relationships that you build. And, and uh, yeah, what, what a wonderful organization. So thank you, Seth. I appreciate being here. If you're interested in trade, um, feel free to talk to Paul and his experience. You can find him online on the North, North Dakota Legislature page. I think you got the, they still have your your contact up there. Yeah, yeah. You can just uh, click on the Legislative Assembly, and uh, it's it's quite easy. Uh, email's the easiest, just Paul Thomas at nd.gov. But uh, yeah, my cell phone's out there, or any other way you want to get a hold of me. Certainly. Thanks again. All right. Have a good one. And that is going to do it for me today. Thank you to my guest, Mr. Representative Paul Thomas, for joining us. Please stick around and enjoy Pete's one-minute pause, followed by my co-host Emery's interview with North Dakota Aid Commissioner, Mr. Doug Goring. Enjoy. This is Pete's one-minute pause. This week, I want to talk about an issue that has come to the forefront of the legislature that we didn't think would pass, but it actually moved out of the Senate and now is in the House, and we'd like to see it defeated. And the issue is an annual legislative session. North Dakota Farm Bureau has always favored a biennial, every other year legislative session. The reason we believe that this is more important is because uh, in states where they have recently made the change, budgets have increased. Legislation and regulation with that legislation has increased. The nature of the citizen legislature has gone away. Uh, In states like Arkansas, where they recently made the change, it's been a challenge to find people to run, and only terribly retired and terribly wealthy people have taken the time to be in the legislature. It's a hobby for them, and they don't have much skin in the game. And finally, the reason we think this is a problem is if you meet every spring in session— then everything becomes a crisis and we overreact to every little thing that comes down the pike. Everything becomes a crisis. We must act upon it. And while we're there, uh, we'll pass more budgets and more spending and more regulation. We think it's a bad idea for the citizens of North Dakota. This has been Pete's One Minute Pause. This is Emery Melhoff, your North Dakota Farm Bureau Public Policy Liaison, and I'm here with Commissioner Doug Goring on this beautiful, sunny day. Commissioner, good morning. Good morning, Emery. Doug, you farm and ranch, correct, outside of your job correct. as a commissioner? My uh, son and I farm south of Monokan, or at least that's where the farm's at, and then we uh, farm around the Burley County area, and uh, it's approximately 2,700 acres. That's awesome. Well, we're here to talk a little bit about trade today, and that's been a topic at our North Dakota legislative session. But before we dive into that, can you just tell us a little bit about what trade is to North Dakota and how important it is and what it means to our state? Well, maybe I'd frame it up this way. 
for the United States, trade is absolutely essential. We are a country that produces far more than we can consume. We are approximately 5% of the world's population, and that means 95% of the world is needing our products. We are an oversupplier of so many different commodities. Mm -hmm. North Dakota specifically, we produce over 54 different commodities in our state. That makes us unique in many respects because there are some southern states and there's California and Michigan that certainly have a lot of variety, but we're at the top of the list when you look at the top six or seven states in the United States that have a very diverse portfolio when it comes to commodities, and we certainly fit in there. The other value that comes to this when I talked about 95% of the world's population lives outside of our borders. Well, 80% of the world's buying power is outside of our borders also. And when you look at the middle-class growth, you're going to see almost 90% of the middle-class growth that's going to take place is going to take place in the rest of the world, hmm. not in the United States. We're kind of uh, just sustaining and slowly growing. So you're seeing this rapid growth and development in these undeveloped countries and these smaller developed countries that uh, they're really looking to spread their wings, do more trade. They see the value and the economic benefit in it, but they also see the value in feeding their people and creating food security. And sometimes that doesn't always mean just producing it. It means having good relationships, good trading partners, with reasonable tariffs put in place. So let's scale that down to North Dakota. Tell us a little <clears throat> bit about what we, how much we export um, soybeans as our highest export commodity. Is that correct? <laughs> it is. Uh, when you look at uh, how rapidly soybeans have really developed and taken off in North Dakota, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I remember back in the uh, mid-90s when we produced about three, 400,000 acres of soybeans. Today, we are pushing several million acres wow. of soybeans. Wow. And in fact, uh, I remember a little stat from, I think about four or five years ago, that Stutzman County raised more soybeans in Stutzman County than the entire state of Alabama. <laughs> oh my goodness. And Cass County is the number one producing county for soybeans in the United States. Uh, Richland County kind of varies third or fourth, but it just goes to show how much value soybeans brings to the table, but it brings diversity into our cropping system also. We also have seen a rapid development in uh, corn production across the state, especially with the advent of more biofuels and ethanol facilities going in place. And if we can continue to foster and build animal agriculture in our state, we'll even see an opportunity for more of that corn to stay home, stay in our backyard, and add value right on our farms and right into the economy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just looking at even making it more efficient. So in my area, back home in Spiritwood, they're talking about developing the spirit, the soybean crushing, <clears throat> crushing plant and um, just thinking about the great opportunity that would be for feed. You know, and in that situation, the uniqueness about that particular design and, and what they're going to do at the feedstock, in this case, it's not about the meal itself. It's about the oil. Mm -hmm. 
They want the vegetable oil mm. so they can run it out to South Heart, to that facility, that uh, that topping off plant, that refinery that used to do about 20,000 barrels mm. of oil a day, or I should say diesel fuel is what they produced. They retrofitted, modified that facility so they can take vegetable oil and turn it into renewable diesel. Mm. That has a home on the West Coast, especially primarily in the uh, California market. So we'll be adding more value back here at home to these soybeans. The co-product, which won't be the essential first primary product coming out of that plant, which would generally be soybean meal, it'll be soybean oil. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be the meal that we can utilize on the local level. And if nothing else, we are the quickest uh, spot to send into the Pacific Northwest and meal exports into the uh, Southeast Asia market. Okay, so let's talk about that. So I bring my truckload of soybeans into my local elevator, ADM, which is now Gavilon, and I, and I dump my truck, and then it goes on a train. What happens to it from there? Most generally, almost always, our soybeans in North Dakota are 70% are exported into the Pacific Northwest. The rest is either into the local market or it moves into, let's say, surrounding regional markets. But we have historically seen 70, in some cases, I think as high as 86% has moved into the export market. There, it's offloaded into generally large Panamaxes, and that ends up most of the time with the destination in China. They have generally been our largest uh, consumer. But we have numerous clients, whether it's Vietnam, Indonesia, India to some degree. Uh, India kind of goes back and forth. They have a lot of crush facilities in India, but they don't have the production. Hmm. You also have Philippines, Japan, Taiwan, hmm. a lot of those, uh, Malaysia, you just Thailand, you have a lot of those countries that are looking to expand and support meat production. And to have that, you need a high plant protein product like soybean meal. We do have our food grade soybean producers in the state. And in fact, uh, regionally, uh, they're one of the largest ones in the entire United States. And that takes production out of Wisconsin, Minnesota, some in South Dakota, Iowa, and North Dakota. And they do containerized shipments, uh, identity preserved. Mm -hmm. And those are very specific that they go into markets where you have bean sprouts or you have soy milk or you have a high grade type of soybean product you want to produce with very specific uh, numbers and traits on that soybean. And that yields generally the higher value product or in a sense, even yields a higher amount. So for example, if I recall properly, I believe it was some varieties that are identity preserved when you look at soy milk or at tofu production can yield as much as 20% more tofu off from that same bushel as a conventional bushel that's being shipped across seas. So it's very specific in what that soybean has. So let's talk about the North Dakota political aspect of it. So we obviously have a huge export market that we take advantage of, but what oversees all of that? 
the trade office, how much is the trade office involved in that process? Yeah. Is is all of that done by the private company, by our local elevators? Or how much role does the capital have in the process? I would probably de-emphasize the capital and government's role. We, we do play a role. I don't want to take that away because we work very closely with foreign egg service and U.S. commercial service. Mm-hmm. And those are probably two of the foremost experts when it comes to trade across the world. They pretty much have relationships and they are established in, I believe, 176 countries. And it could actually be more than that, but that was the last figure I saw. They are our greatest resource out there because they do a lot of market development and research. They have the connections, they have the relationships. When it comes to trade, It is a lot about price, but I'll tell you, first and foremost, it's about relationship. If you can Mm -hmm. establish relationship and you understand the challenges they deal with, the cultural issues, for example, we talk about corruption. You hear people in the United States talk about corruption here, corruption there. The reality is we have no idea what real corruption is. Mm. I've been in countries where they don't pay the law enforcement officer enough money They pay him about $50 a month in equivalent. So he has to go out and find people to get the rest of his Mm -hmm. uh, living wage for the month. Or someone at the port wants to make sure that uh, they get enough out of this deal. So there will be payments that have to be made to the port agent, Mm -hmm. to the gate, the guard at the gate. Uh, to the person looking over the phytosanitary certificates, to the mayor in the city, to the governor in the area. I mean, this is, it's asinine how it works. And we in policy and in law in the United States cannot participate in those activities. So it becomes challenging to work through those barriers. And a lot of my role is to show up and work on the phytosanitary protocols, the sanitary protocols, to talk about how we move product in and out, to bring a greater understanding of the product we're bringing in. I take the companies along to give them an opportunity to work with foreign egg service, U.S. commercial service, and to work with other buyers one-on-one and establish those relationships. And it's interesting that when the value of the dollar was high, we lost market share in the global marketplace. But we had some of our companies that worked hard to continue to build and work on that relationship with another buyer in another country. And after two or three years, and this would span back 12, 10 years ago, once they had them, they had that secure relationship, they had the trust built, that even as we became uncompetitive, we continued to keep the business. Maybe not a large portion of it, but some of it. Now that the value of the dollar is going down, we are gaining greater access into the marketplace and our previous customers or our current customers that were taking smaller amounts are taking larger amounts and we are finding new customers as we get out there and establish a larger footprint in the entire marketplace. But that also means going and visiting them, establishing relationships with the government entities, and then establishing relationships with the buyers. And my hat's off to our companies here in North Dakota. We have 60 food export companies here just in North Dakota, but we also have 80 members in the North Dakota Trade Office 
And those members are manufacturers, they're service providers. They are the ones that are going out there and making equipment, parts sales. They're making irrigation sales. They're providing livestock equipment into some of these more desolate areas Mm -hmm. and into these places where they want to just try and create a little more efficiencies. It's exciting to see our members and how they get engaged. And the trade office is just a vital key. It's a role that's played by doing some of the market research. They have the relationships with the U.S. Commercial Service. They have relationships with Foreign Ag Service. And they continue to try and check each and every market and figure out where should our companies be going next? Where should we plan and plot a trade mission to? Most recently, they did the Dubai World Food Show, which is the largest one in the world. And people would say, Dubai doesn't even grow any food. Exactly. But they host one of the largest food shows because it brings everybody there. And it gives them an opportunity to figure out who they're going to work with, what products they're looking at, and how they are going to actively participate in global trade. So give us a little bit of the 3,000-foot view of Senate Bill 2018, which would move the trade office from where it sits now, which is the Industrial Commission, correct? No, Commerce oh, Department. Oh, Commerce Department. That's right. Yep. So it would move it from the Commerce Department to the Egg Department, so under your department. Tell us just a little bit about that, um, why you think this switch would be a good thing, and then if you've had any opposition. Maybe I'd best frame it up like this. The trade office is an entity unto itself. It is not a state agency, and some have thought, portrayed it, or actually believed that it's a state agency that you know I now manage. It isn't. It would uh, maybe the best scenario would be, and I told this one in committee. It's much like having a warehouse where all of us family members are working out of, but we have this old pickup that's sitting out on the street, and we're someone's responsible for managing, taking care of that, licensing it, washing mm-hmm. it, waxing it, repairing the dents, putting a new alternator on, <laughs> keeping the tires yeah. pumped up. <laughs> And that's what the trade office would be. They would be that pickup. So, you know, one of my siblings, another agency, which was Commerce, uh, had that responsibility. Well, what's happened over the last four years or so has been neglect, I believe. Uh, We don't see a lot of attention. We just see uh, them wanting to exploit and use it and not really feed it and take care of it. So... All I really want to do is take over the responsibility of caring for that vehicle so it can properly deliver on goods and services to a consuming public. So I want to put new tires on it. I want to wash it, replace the headlights, uh, you know, tape the mirrors back on type <laughs> of deal and, and make sure that we're advocating for it. Because what's happening, there just continues to be more and more cuts that come along every year. Now, six years ago, we had to make some deep cuts in the state. The problem was after that, we had an opportunity to build on that and we didn't. We saw executive recommendations that continued to cut away from it. We saw Commerce wanting to put more and more responsibility on it, move like foreign direct investment in there, make them do that, even though they're supposed to be doing it out of their shop. So with all this neglect, it has left the board in a situation where they're floundering a bit. They don't understand where they fit in the scheme of things. And when I say the board, Mm -hmm. there's a trade office board 
And it is private sector members with three of us from government, the lieutenant governor, the commerce commissioner, and myself as a commissioner. And we just need to do a better job of interacting, listening to, and really trying to develop a better plan, framework, and blueprint going forward for the trade office so that we can have a secure environment, not only for the staff, but for our members that need to utilize the services there. It's just like having a good grain operation or a good livestock operation. You can have a really great ranch or a great farm and have amazing bins and amazing corrals. But if you don't have that truck that can bring that thing to the market, Absolutely. Then, then you're going to have a dysfunctional, a dysfunctional system. Yeah, you cannot just keep taking from it. And only putting back into it what you desire to, you have to look at the needs Mm -hmm. and you have to think about what things are going to help this succeed and do a better job of servicing. So the reality is all we're going to be doing at the ag department is managing the contract. It doesn't Mm -hmm. turn into the North Dakota Agriculture Trade Office. It's still the trade office that's serving members across the vast amount of our economy It's just that we are going to audit the contract, make sure that services are being delivered and rendered, and we're going to advocate for adequate funding to make sure that it can continue to have this public-private partnership and serve the people of North Dakota the best they can. Make sure it stays repaired, has its registration and license plate. So (laughs) just really briefly, Commissioner, if I may, some of our listeners have asked, uh, Trump received a lot of criticism for holding the line with China. Do you think that the effects of the trade war were good for our export market, bad or otherwise? So I believe that it was good. I've been involved in trade missions and international trade for going on 20 years almost. One thing I've noticed is how we as producers and citizens in the United States have continued to develop and research biotechnology, pay for this, and then watch it get stolen clear across the world. And it's not just China. We saw South America do that to us too. But the reality is we kept getting it turned against us by China. China would sit on registrations, not approve them until they felt like they need them. It's interesting that when it came to soybeans, for example, because they needed them, they never hardly said a thing Hmm. about Hmm. those biotech registrations. But boy, when it came to corn and they wanted to leverage the price down or they felt like they had enough in their backyard, all of a sudden they were restricting movement. It just wasn't a good faith effort to have good trade relationships. What took place, what I believe that President Trump did, actually set the stage to have a fair playing field going forward. As you look across and you survey the United States, it's actually pretty amazing that about 82% of our producers supported mm-hmm. what uh, what the president did at that time. It's not what the media said, but that's what no. you heard out in the fields. Yeah. yeah. You, you saw people that were frustrated. We hurt. I know. Our farm hurt. It was tough. We had mediation cases. Yeah. It wasn't all tied back to just a soybean producer, yep. but it was a lot of different things that were happening in the ag economy. But we're better off for it. Mm -hmm. In the long run, we end up in a situation where we're going to be able to better serve producers in this country and get a fair shake. And we shouldn't be developing and researching all these different technologies, different hybrids, 
and a different path forward for producers just to have it stolen from us or used against us and uh, stop sale or stop exports from coming into a country. And I, I will say that I've heard to date that the current administration, the Biden administration, uh, is not going to withdraw from some of those tariffs or actions. They're hmm. going to stick with them. So uh, they might make some modifications, but I think it's telling that it was the right step in the right direction. Well, I would agree. And, and you can see with prices and exports booming, that probably was the right way to go. So, well, thank you so much, Commissioner, for your time today. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. And I hope you get back to the ranch this weekend. Yeah, thank you, Emery. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Straight Talk with NDFB. If you have a topic of concern that you would like to hear us discuss, please drop me a line at seth at ndfb.org.